This is Jessica Alba reading The Challenge of the Future. To an observer who in 1950 might have idly taken stock of my situation, it might well have appeared that I had reached a broad, unruffled highway along which I could travel only from success to success. I controlled a working force of 700 men and women making 350 pairs of handmade shoes a day. To my chain of shops throughout Italy, I had added salons in San Remo, Pisa, and Palermo, and restored my outlet in Venice through a concessionaire. In 1955, I added a salon in Capri. Abroad, my shoes were sold in Texas, Hollywood, Beverly Hills, New York, and many other cities. In London, Stockholm, Zurich, Paris, Geneva, Lausanne, in Sydney and Melbourne, in Mexico City and across Canada. I had stuck to my guns and to my principles. And the dream born in the days of Hollywood had at last come true in all its facts, almost exactly as I had imagined it. To the outsider, there must have seemed little else for me to do except go steadily onward, creating new designs, increasing my output as best I could, replacing my aging work people with youngsters flowing from my school. The great achievement of my life had been accomplished. It was all behind me, and I am not a man who cares to waste time looking over my shoulder. So it might have seemed on the surface, but underneath, the future swirled treacherously. The machine age, which I had fought so long and so far successfully, was advancing remorselessly. It might seem reasonable to continue replacing my retiring workers with new young ones. The threat of the future was that there were no young ones. My school fell into abeyance. The crafts of handmade shoes no longer appealed to youth. There was easier work to be done and easier wages were to be earned at the machines of a score of industries. Why then spend hours crouching over a last, working with minute care and skill? I took stock of my position as I studied my list of work people and estimated the likely intake of recruits, I could visualize the year 1950 as the high peak of my achievement. Henceforward, there must be a decline. I worked out figures which showed that unless there was a radical change of some unlooked-for dimensions, my output would drop steadily and with increasing rapidity until, by the year 1965, I could expect it to be cut by half. If I lived to a good old age... I might even see the death of the Ferragamo shoe, overwhelmed by the rising tide of economics and mass production. The thought was unthinkable. My principle of shoemaking was at stake. Unless something was done and done fairly quickly, it might die through the failure of my business and for lack of imitators. Yet what could I do? To attract new recruits by offering them wages high enough to tempt them from machines into craftsmanship would send the prices of my shoes soaring into a range, which would effectively diminish demand, especially in an age when the ranks of the wealthy seemed to be steadily dwindling. The machines were winning, and I must accept it. I could not hope to beat them, but perhaps I thought I might come to terms with them. I had failed in the past, but now there were new factors in the situation, factors which had not seen present 25 years earlier. 
It might be possible to accomplish in 1950 what had been impossible in 1925. But it must be accomplished on my terms. I had already been offered fabulous sums of money if I would give permission for my name to be attached to machine-made shoes. In 1948, a reputable American house had offered me $1 million, $50,000 for 20 years, if I would allow them to market mass-produced shoes under the title Ferragamo Debs. I need grant only the use of my name, and they would pay me the royalties. I would have no work and no worries, nothing except wealth and comfort. It was gratifying to reflect that in 15 years, the worthless name of the bankrupt of Florence had become estimated at a million dollars in the open market. But that was all the satisfaction the offer could give me. Shoes over which I would have no supervision would be a breach of my principles. I had fought a long battle to keep them. I could not surrender them now. So I went in search of a manufacturer who would be prepared to work faithfully to my principles, my lasts, my patterns, and my designs, and who would be prepared to incorporate a large percentage of handwork in my products. If I could find him or more than one, I might achieve two objectives. I would not only rescue my system from the threat of death, but I could expand my production far beyond the possibilities of handmade shoes. I could also reduce my prices and so bring my shoes, my styles, and my comfort within the reach of the moderately well-to-do. I began my search in England because purchase tax was severely affecting my sales. For several years, I experimented, and at last I found what I needed. The result was the appearance on the British market of Farina shoes by Ferragamo, shoes made to my principles, including, in each pair, two different heels, left and right. The first machine made shoe to incorporate this important principle, which were 60% handmade. The other 40%, the minor tasks, were done by machine. When I was assured of success in England, I turned to Italy. I found the solution there also. Today, 10 factories in Italy and Britain are turning out Ferragamo Debs. By the time this book is published, my Debs will have been launched in the United States. By that time, also, my new shop will be open in London and another in New York. Nine months from the date of writing, March 1956, my output of Debs and originals from all sources should reach a thousand pairs a day. After that, there will be no limit save my ability to find manufacturers who will work for me. Yet it is the quality, not the quantity, that will be the final arbiter in my production figures. Without quality, there will be no increase in output. I do not advertise. Though retail stores use my name when my new line comes on the market, and I have never advertised. The strength of my name is in each pair of shoe I offer. My shoe must satisfy the people for whom they are designed. If my customers are happy, they will tell others. They will say they have received value for money. 
and in their confidence, the continuity of Ferragamo's shoes will be preserved. What does the future hold for me? For me, there is work. I'm nearly 58 years old and feeling younger than ever. When I'm in Florence, I rise at 6 o'clock each working day, Monday to Saturday, and, after a cold shower and breakfast, I'm at one or another one of my factories by 8.30. After lunch, there's more work until 7 o'clock or 7.30, then home to my family and dinner and an early bed. At the weekends, there's my property to inspect and my wife and children to entertain and to entertain me, and no thoughts of work. A myriad tasks await me. There are orders to supervise, a widespread organization to control, visits to be made to a score of countries from Europe to America, buyers to entertain, and work still to do in the workroom. I used to make the first pair myself of every new model I created. Today, I restrict myself to making the pullover, pulling the masks on the last, the most difficult task in shoemaking. Because I find that I can make 10 pullovers in the same time it would take me to make only one pair of shoes. There are new ideas to bring forth. They flood into my mind. In the immediate future, I can see many new developments. Perhaps as you read this, you may have seen these dreams come true. There's the bark of trees to be used for making shoes. It dies beautifully, and laboratory research is finding a way to prevent it cracking and splitting as you walk. There is an invention which will reduce the weight of my shoes by up to 20%. There are the new heels which will be fashionable in 1956, the cage heels. The inner heel is jeweled and decorated and then covered by a transparent outer heel, also decorated. As I have said, I'm experimenting with a sandal which will have no upper. More important than all these, however, is the new idea for a wardrobe of shoes, which is one shoe. When this comes to realization, a woman who wishes to possess six pairs of shoes to match her dresses will have to buy only one foundation shoe and six uppers. She will be able to buy the uppers in any style and design, and she will own a wardrobe which might otherwise have been far beyond her purse. I estimate that she will obtain one foundation shoe and six uppers for roughly the price of two and a half pairs of ordinary shoes. The Debs flow out, the originals flow out, and my special customers, both rich and poor, come to my salon for personal fittings. Crippled feet hurt me. I cannot rest until they are cured. And so waiters, school teachers, and workers of all types come to me for help. There is much work I give away, and much more for which I charge only the cost of the shoes the wear would normally buy. If only I possessed a thousand pairs of hands and there were a hundred days in every one. There is much ahead and I am looking for the time to accomplish it. Yet I have no need to worry. I shall go on forever. I have only just begun to work. I am still perfecting myself for the work I have to do in the future. The work to which I have been called. I have plenty of time. I know I'm going to do it. If it is not done with this body, it will be done with another. We are all flowing with the eternal tide, and of the eternal tide only is there no end. Now my tale is told, 
I must not overstay my welcome. I trust I have not detained you too long. Signore e signori, grazie. Arrivederci.